Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 54, entitled, Love is the Answer, Part 7. Hello, welcome back uh, to our midweek study. Had a week off last week only because of uh, computer issues. So uh, here we are back again, and uh, we're going to go at it again. What we were going to do last week is what we're doing this week. And continuing our uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we are, our study of the love chapter, as, as it's called, our study of the description, definition of, of love, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be down in verses uh, 4 through 7, and we're nearing the end of our study on love because we're getting near the end of the descriptives that are there. So uh, before we do that, though, of course, we need to pray and uh, first thank God and then ask God for his help. God, we are thankful for your help every single day, for the insights you bring into our lives. Thank you that you're always speaking uh, to us, especially as we open your word. We know that this is you speaking to us. Help us not just to hear it, but to comprehend it and understand it and to be able to apply it to our lives. God, open our eyes to, to the things that we're missing. Open our eyes to places where we are blinded and unable to see. Uh, give us uh, your perspective, Lord, which is the purpose of your word. Thank you, God. Thank you for blessing this time. Help us to learn uh, about you as we learn about love, because you are love. Thank you, fathers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in our, near the end of the study on love here in 1 Corinthians. Paul concludes his description here of love with uh, some summative statements. If you'll take a look with me here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses uh, 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. It is not, I'm sorry, it's not jealous, it does not uh, brag, it is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it is not provoked. It does not take into account wrongs suffered. Verse 6, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love, here's the summative statements, verse 7. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so we're going to be looking at these uh, four statements because they're all going to, we're going to be able to collect them together in two groups. And uh, how many of you here have a protection plan? protection plan for your life, for your house, for your property. I mean, it's almost without exception if you have anything, uh, even a life. I mean, you have some kind of protection plan. You have insurance, you have uh, 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 fire alarms, uh, smoke alarms, uh, theft alarms here along the coast. We have windstorm insurance. We have flood insurance. This stuff gets very expensive. I mean, you think about how many people that are listening right now if we added up all the money that we spend on protection, including, you know, arming ourselves, locking our houses, uh, uh, putting up a surveillance camera system, that seems to be a real uh, popular, uh, big, and, and, and probably necessary thing today. Uh, how much money we spend on protecting ourselves, our families, our properties is, is enormous. It really is. So today... I want to sell you on a protection plan that's capabilities and benefits far exceed all of the protection that you could have together, added together uh, in your life. Beats the rest of them hands down. And here's the protection plan. It's love's protection plan. Love 
the love that comes from God, is the greatest protection that we have. We're going to see that. Now, let's not forget that as, as we make a study of love, we're also simultaneously making a study of God because God is love. He doesn't just love in the sense of the act of love. God is love. You want to know what the definition of love is? You're also defining who God is. The descriptive of love is a descriptive of God. What love does, God also does. What God does is the definition of love. What is true about one is true about the other, including the fact that God always protects. God always protects. Our English here has difficulty with these two summative statements here uh, to begin with. Bears all things uh, and endures all things. Now, there are two ends of that phrase there, but, but they're basically the same thing. It's basically saying the same thing twice with a little bit more flavor uh, each each time. But our English has a difficult time with these two phrases uh, because, well, um, because no single word encompasses what's being said here, and thus we have two different phrases here that, that go on. Bears all things basically is the same as love endures all things. Uh, another way to think of it is love covers, uh, but, but that's even closer, but it's still wanting. And the reason why I say that is because the noun alternative for, for the Greek verb that Paul uses here is a Greek word for a roof or a shelter. So, so when you think of covers all things, it's not just, well, I'll cover your tab, you know, at the restaurant or um, that kind of thing. It's literally a covering, like a, like a shelter or a roof, but even that still is not complete there. Uh, bears all things like a good roof under a heavy deluge, covers so that nothing penetrates. So it's not just that it holds up against a heavy deluge or a snowstorm, it also is impenetrable. Like not just doesn't fall, uh, it also doesn't let anything, not a single drop through. So when you hear love, love bears all things, endures all things, you're really looking at love protects. It's like a shelter. It literally shelters us. Love, the protection plan of love. And that's what I said I was planning on selling you on because, because wow, nothing gets through it. Absolutely nothing. God's love which is the descriptive of God himself, it is a love that nothing penetrates. Nothing gets through. It we bears all things, covers all things. Uh, we are naturally fearful creatures. And for a good reason. I mean, in the physical world, we're certainly not the biggest. Um, we're not the fastest. Uh, we're not the strongest. We don't have any formidable uh, horns or, or, or uh, teeth. Um, and the, and if you're, if you're going to consider us just from our physical animal state, you know, we have physical characteristics similar to animal the world. We're, we're not the biggest, not the strongest, not the meanest, not the best. And, and in the spiritual world, it's the same way. I mean, Jesus described us as the sheep among wolves, right? So we're in trouble. We have every reason to be fearful. We can't choose, humans can't, whether we're fearful or not. I mean, a person who isn't fearful is just simply not sane. It's not sober. If we're going to be sane and sober, we have to be fearful. The thing we can choose, our option is, is what we fear. That's our options. So I want to give you a brief little synopsis on how to be sane uh, 101. This is the way I've described it here. Jesus gives... 
uh, makes a statement here about who we, who we are to fear in Luke 12. It says, now I say to you, my friends, so he's not talking to his enemies, he's actually talking to his disciples. My friends, he's being a friend. Say, listen, I, I'm, I'm being friendly to you in, in telling you this. It's the best thing for you, my friends. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. So that's every human being, including the devil. He can do all that. He can kill you. They can do nothing more. But So Jesus is setting every person, every animal, every spiritual entity with the exception of one into one category. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. I will warn you, though, he says, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one, capital O, you see it down there. After he is killed, someone has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So the entire two categories, all, all the created order, including the demons and the devil himself, are in one category of don't fear them. And the other category is a single person that would be God. He says, you need to fear him. This is sanity, sobriety, if you will, 101. You cannot fear God and man at the same time. So either I'm fearing God or I'm fearing something in this other category. Does that make sense? And if I'm fearing something in this other category, I'm by definition, I'm fearing God. Jesus says, don't fear these, fear him. Fear him. To not fear God is... That's why I'm calling the definition of sanity. To not fear God is insane. So, so, so the creator of the universe, the owner of heaven and hell, who, who has eternal laws that you have broken, and you don't fear him, you are not sane. You have lost your mind. We have every reason to fear him. The fear of God does away with all other fears. So I fear God. I'm no longer fearful of anything in this category. I have no reason whatsoever to be fearful. And the reason is, is because the fear of God leads me to the place where I don't have to fear God anymore. I don't mean we don't respect Him, we don't stand in awe of Him, but the fear of God brings us to repentance and brings us to reconciliation, which is the ultimate end. God isn't just happy about people fearing Him. There are going to be people in hell who are going to fear Him forever. God's not happy about the fact that they're going to be in hell. He's not happy about that. God wants all men to come to repentance, the Scripture says. Wants all men to be saved. The fact is they're not going to be. So He just gets no joy over the fact that they're in hell. He gets joy over the fact that you've learned to fear Him in this life so that He can forgive us. So they can be reconciled to us. So ultimately, if, and again, sanity 101, that I fear him who certainly deserves my fear. These other categories does not. But he certainly does. That brings me to the place of repentance, which brings me to the place where now God can have mercy on me and, and pour out his grace on me and forgive me so that I get to the place because of his grace and, and salvation experience, where I no longer have to fear him anymore. Watch, watch this. Keep, keep Luke 12 in mind as we look at what it says up here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Here's the statement. God is love, 
And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. So no longer, not only do I not fear this category of humans and demons and everything else, I have no reason to fear God now, not in the sense of punishment. Because notice, because fear, the initial fear, involves punishment. I come to God out of fear of punishment. Absolutely, that's completely sober, completely sane. But once I come to him out of fear of those things, then God takes that fear away because now I've been forgiven because of his love. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Hell's going to be a place of eternal fear. Yeah, because they're never going to be perfected in love because they're never going to have a chance to come, come to God in grace because that's the way God's decided things to be. So, But I have a chance here to first fear and then fear no longer because God, who is love, takes that fear away. When we fear or stand in awe of God, there's nothing else for us to fear because God, who is love, is now our shelter and our protection. So I'm now, because of God's love and decision and grace, sheltered from his wrath because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Now Jesus has paid for my hell, taking it on the cross, and I don't have to pay for my hell anymore. I don't have to go to hell because of what Jesus has done for me. And so not only do I not feel this category of all other entities, physical and otherwise, in all of God's creation, but the ultimate entity who had everything to fear from, I no longer have to fear because of his grace. God has now sheltered me in his love and in his protection. Let's just take, for instance, of the life of Paul and the life of David. We're going to look at these two guys very briefly here. But just think about it as an object lesson of the facet, this facet of love that love protects, or if you will, God always protects. Love always protects. Think of it this way. Five times, here's Paul. Five times he's beaten with 49 lashes. Should have died, didn't. Three times, this is serving God. Beaten with rods, stoned once, three times shipwrecked, snake bitten, conspired against, plotted against, yet he was unstoppable. Almost immortal, if we could say, until, until his time on earth, until God had decided that it was time for him and he'd serve the purposes of God. Of course, uh, then he went to heaven. But, but all that against Paul, and yet he fulfilled everything that was prophesied about him. In fact, when Ananias, if you recall, at Paul's conversion and baptism, Ananias is sent to him. He receives this vision, this dream, and he goes and baptizes, speaks to Brother Paul. God has decided to forgive you. And in fact, God has given you a mission to send you to the Gentiles, and et cetera, et cetera. And he just preaches over him these things that God's going to be doing. So why, why is this true? Why, why did he survive? How, how did he go through all these things? And how did he endure and, like I said, almost live an immortal life? Here, here's how he did it. He did it because of God's love protection plan. God's purposes for him could not fail. Could not fail because love always protects. Love always protects. You want a guaranteed protection plan? Love. Love. We can rest and trust in God because we can rest and trust in love because he is the epitome of, the, of that thing. David also, hotly pursued by Paul, I'm sorry, by Saul. Uh, death was close. It was very close to him. It was within a breath of him, and yet it never touched him because of why? Because of God's protection plan. God, the same as love, always protects. God always protects. He does. 
consider what, as David writes here in Psalm 91, verses 1 through 5, it's going to be on the screen down here in the corner for you. The one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will lodge in the shadow of the Almighty. Listen to these statements about the reason why he has no reason to fear. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who rescues you from the net of the trapper and from the deadly plague. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings that you may take refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a wall. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. Why? Because, again, if you fear God, he takes away all your fears. He takes away all of them. So, so, so on the other hand, though, he trusted completely in the protections of God, but it didn't mean David didn't carry a sword. It didn't mean he didn't prepare and make good decisions. It's not like, okay, if we trust God, we don't have to, I don't know, lock our doors anymore, go buy insurance or protect, arm ourselves. No, that's not what it says. But it just simply says, don't trust any of those things. So I don't care what kind of insurance you've got or how many guns you have. Or how many locks you have on the door or surveillance equipment or whatever you have, if God doesn't protect you, none of those things are going to work. And, and let's stop giving any of our trust to any of those things. So yes, we have those things, but we know it was God who delivered us. It was God who enabled us. It was God who protected us. It's God who is the definition of love who was taking care of us. Let nothing distract or replace the confidence that, that we should have in God's love. It bears all things, protects all things, covers all things. So, so, so let's leave that one behind and let's go to the next two or the final two summative statements here. And we'll be taking these two summative statements together because, uh, because they go together. And, and before we get them, I want to give you just this, this state of mind for a minute. I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine having a dream, and with God shares with you something wonderful about a person who you would have never imagined ever being saved, ever coming to peace with God. And, and for lack of a better person, let's just say it's Osama bin Laden. Now, of course, some of Laden's been dead for quite a while now as I'm making this video. But, but somebody who's notorious... Someone who just seems so far out of reach, so full of hate, so, so uh, uh, bloodthirsty, so evil. Osama bin Laden level, a Hitler level type of person. Someone who's just indescribably, uh, seemingly unreachable. So in your dream, God comes to you and he tells you that this man, let's say, like I said, Osama bin Laden, has come to faith in Christ. He's repented and turned to Christ, and God has forgiven him and accepted him and saved him, just like he did you. And so it's, but it's not, this is not just an informative dream. This is, this is a directive dream in the sense that God says, now that I've saved him, I want you to go, and he sends you to a certain place in a city, to a certain house. I want you to go to this place, and there you're going to find Osama bin Laden praying under every guard, but praying, and I want you to go into him and tell him all the things that I've done for him and the things that I plan to do with him and the ministry that I have for him. How would you feel about that? You get this notorious person who's well known for killing lots of people, especially Christians, anyone who is an infidel as far as the Muslims are concerned, he's been wiping them out wholesale. 
caring nothing for any of them or for their families or anything. I mean, this kind of person, this level of evil, how would you feel if God came to you and said, he's a changed person, go and speak to him? It would be intimidating. But now you kind of have a feeling of what it was like to go and speak to a person notorious murderer like Saul of Tarsus, who turned out to be Paul. Ananias, you know, his story, he says, God, I know this guy. I know the kind of stuff that he did down in Jerusalem. And in fact, he's on the way up to Damascus with letters from the, the authorities in Jerusalem to arrest us. So, so he kind of pleads his case with God, and God says, ah, he's a called man. And you're going to go and tell him all the things that he's going to suffer for, for my sake and for my message. So, so he found the, the intestinal fortitude to complete the mission that God had for him because of the supply of God's love that was in his heart. Because why? Because love believes and hopes all things. That's our next two, next two phrases. Love believes and hopes all things. Believes and hopes go together because you can't believe without hope, and there's no hope without believing. It's not that love doesn't understand what's going on. It's not that love is uninformed about how people are. Because Ananias said, I don't know if it's a good idea for me to go down there. Well, yes, but love believes and hopes all things. It's not that love, love doesn't put its hope on people. It puts its belief and hope in God. I, I heard a story and I thought it was funny. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, but it kind of goes with what, what we're talking about here. There was this general store owner who was uh, at this crossroads in the rural area who was, who was known to mix the Bible with, with uh uh, business. And what I mean by that is he would say, you may have heard this before, but every time he made a transaction, almost every time, he would quote some Bible verse that related to that transaction or to the circumstances of what went on during that transaction within his store. And uh, for instance, there was, there, was a, um, there was a family that was in his store and uh, they were trying to figure out a price for a certain uh, item. And so they sent their child up to the store owner and the store owner was the guy that would always quote the verse. Sent their child to the store owner and said, Sir, can you tell me what the price is for this item and whatever it was? And then as the child went back to his parents to tell them what the, what the cost was, he turned to his attendants, who several people who worked in the store, and he says, Let the little children come unto me. So he quotes a Bible verse. Another different situation, different family, but a child was in there crying and complaining about the fact that she wanted candy, and the mom and dad wouldn't let them have candy. In fact, they stood, stood on that, and... And they walked out of the store and didn't let her buy candy. And so after they left, the store owner turned to his attendants and says, says uh, honor thy father and thy mother. And so he, he would have, like I said, not every time, but, but often would quote a Bible verse that had something to do with the transaction, with the experience that they had with these people. And so uh, a particular thing happened uh, in the store not long after. There was a man, about closing time, there was a man who came into the store, drove up in this beautiful truck, pulling this gorgeous horse trailer. Air-conditioned horse trailer, and uh, apparently of some a very expensive animal inside that horse trailer. And he comes into this general store. It's in the middle of nowhere. He's got nowhere else to go. And he says, "I need to buy a horse blanket." And so the store owner says, "Absolutely, we have horse blankets in the back." He goes back to the back. He comes out with this horse blanket, lays it on the counter, and he says, "That'll be five dollars." The man says, oh, 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 I can't pay $5. I, I got a horse out there worth thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. I have to have a nice horse blanket. So the store owner looked around, and I mean, they only had one pile of horse blankets. They were $5 horse blankets, and the store owner knew it, and so did the other attendants. But 
But uh, uh, anyway, the man wanted a more expensive horse blanket, so it goes back and gets out of the same pile another blanket, different color, lays it on the counter and says, that'll be $10. The man says, oh, don't you have a better blanket than this? I cannot put a $10 blanket on a horse worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. The man says, have it your way. He goes in the back, out of the same pile, gets another blanket, different color, lays it on the counter, says, that'll be $10. I'm sorry, that'll be $15. And the man says, ah, sir, I need something better than this. So he goes back and brings out of the same pile, now charging $20. The next time he comes back, and now $50. Even saying out of the same pile of, of blankets, this is a $50 blanket. The man says, sir, I have a very expensive horse. I need an expensive, nice blanket for my horse. So the man goes back out of the same pile and gets another blanket, lays it on the counter and says, this is a $200 horse blanket. The man says, finally, great. Hands him $200, takes the blanket, walks out, drives away. The whole time, the attendants are standing there, walking around, listening to what's going on, wondering how in the world is he going to make the Bible relate to this. And as soon as the man is gone, drives away, the attendant is standing there, he rings up the sale, puts $200 into the cash register, and then he says these words. He says, he was a stranger, and I took him in. <laughs> To be taken in, right? That's the way we see love is foolish, right? Love, love doesn't understand. Love is uninformed. No, not at all. Love hopes all things and believes all things, but love is definitely not taken in. Love is well-informed. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Hear me. Love opts for the best possible explanation. That's what love does. Love is not cynical or suspicious. It does not assume the worst. Love knows quite well quite well, that to believe and hope for the best means you will eventually get burned. And hear me, love doesn't care. Love doesn't care. Love, well, that's foolish, you might say, you know. Definitely not, unless you think God's a fool. Love would rather, listen, occasionally be burned than to be consistently cynical. That's what love does. So, so in case this, you don't think God is like this, then tell me, is it not God who stretched out his arms and says, crucify me? Did he do that uninformed? Did he stretch out his arms saying, if I'll just do this great sacrifice, they'll never sin again? Oh, no, definitely not. Certainly not for me. I don't know about you, but I've sinned a lot since I've been saved. And the one who stretched out his arms to me to forgive not just the sins I did up until the point of my salvation, but every other sin that I would commit the rest of my life, he was not uninformed about me, nor was he uninformed about you. Love is not taken in. It is not. Love, love, listen, believes all things, hopes all things. And our mindset, the only way to prosper and be rewarded is to look out for number one. So did Jesus look out for number one? No. Did Jesus not, was he not rewarded? Oh, no, he definitely was. He definitely was. He was certainly rewarded. He certainly prospered. Uh, there's a lot of people who, who, who seem, if you will, who seem hopeless. They seem like a hopeless cause. And love is not informed about human nature. Uh, love places no confidence in human nature whatsoever. Love is, it loves confidence and belief is in the hope and power of God. 
That's what it is. It's confident in the hope and the power of God, not in the hope of people. I mean, what is there to hope in people? People are going to fail you. You fail people. You fail yourself. Rationally speaking, there are people who are beyond hope and are lost causes. I fight that, I fight that feeling all the time as a pastor. What's the use? Why keep trying? Why continue to put energy in there? Because, because why? Because love doesn't hope in people. Love hopes in God. Who, who is able to change anyone? I mean, really, I mean, who has the power to do that? Love, how, how many uh, once hopeless people are listening to what I'm saying right now? I'm one of those. How, how many of you could say, honestly, people wrote you off and, and as a lost cause and, and uh, uh, power of God, nonetheless, nonetheless, totally changed you? How many, Right? Love always believes and holds out hope and writes no one off because love knows the final word. And the final word isn't man's decisions, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. Love hopes all things and believes all things because its hope and belief is in God, not in people. Love's not cynical. Love knows exactly what people are capable of. And loves anyway. How do we know that? Because God is the definition of love. You and I are saved. We have the grace of God in our lives because love hopes all things and believes all things, endures all things. Our our degenerating society can make us so cynical and pessimistic about people, but love doesn't act that way. Love, ladies and gentlemen, does not act that way. Love can push right through it. Real love. So you say, well, who's capable of that kind of love? And you know, that's been my point all along. We can't do this without God. We cannot do it without God. It's not something that comes up within ourselves. It's something that is brought down from heaven. God, fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the enabling of the calling that you've placed in our lives, which is, which is to be your supernatural representatives in this world supernaturally producing a love, producing a supernatural love that cannot come from anything else other than God. Love, listen, love keeps on praying, keeps on working, keeps on giving, keeps on trusting, keeps on believing because God is with us. Again, love is not uninformed. Love knows that to love long enough, you'll eventually get burned and love doesn't care. It doesn't care. So don't despair over anybody. Love believes and hopes all things. I'd ask you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Have you forgotten the great love that, has, that God has for us? God is the definition of love. He doesn't just do love. He is love. God, I thank you that you are love. We need to go no further than just to know you to know what love really is. Help us, God, to understand you. Not just topics like love. No, that's not our, not our bottom line. It's not, our, uh, uh, not the end of what we're after here. Not just knowledge, Lord, but experience. We want to experience you. I pray for the person who hasn't surrendered fully to you today. They would realize. They have every reason to fear a God against whom they've broken your laws. 
We have every reason to fear you greatly, eternally, but that that fear doesn't last forever. If we will fear you, it brings us to the place where we're receptive of your forgiveness and of your grace. And then your love, as a result of that grace, casts out all fear. Not a reason to fear you anymore because you've forgiven us. Not a reason ever to feel the, fear the world because they can't do anything to us. Because your love protects us. And then we can turn around and be the dispensers of a love that continues to hope and continues to believe, even in the face of, of so many reasons, it seems, to not do those things. Because that's the way love acts. Thank you so much for teaching us today. Thank you for your grace and your kindness and your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.